DiscerningHearts.com presents A Handmaid of the Lord The Life and Legacy of Adrienne von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker Dr. Walker is an editor of the journal Communio, an international Catholic review. He received his doctorate in philosophy at the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome. He has served as a translator for the English edition of Pope Benedict XVI's Jesus of Nazareth, as well as numerous other theological works, including those of Hans Urs von Balthasar and Adrienne von Speyer. Adrienne von Speyer is a Swiss convert, mystic, wife, medical doctor, and author of over 60 books on spirituality and theology. She's inspired countless souls around the world to deepen their mission of prayer and compassion. She entered the Catholic Church under the direction of the great theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar. In the years that would follow, they would co-found the secular institute, the Community of St. John. A Handmaid of the Lord. The Life and Legacy of Adrienne von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Adrian, thanks for joining me again. You're welcome, Chris. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Here we are in Casa Balthazar, located in the heart of a beautiful neighborhood, just outside the walls of Rome. In our last discussion, you left us on a terrace in Switzerland. I left you on a terrace in Switzerland. That's right. Where, where right now, at this time of year, it will be much, much colder than it is here. Oh, but you gave us such a, a wonderful sense of time and place with... A, an incredible theologian, uh, one of the greatest of the 20th century, Hans von Balthasar, encountering a woman, middle-aged woman, Swiss wife, uh, mother, doctor, on that terrace that evening. And what was the conversation and who was he meeting that day? She was a brilliant woman. Balthasar said that just in terms of natural gifts and presence, she was one of the two people who impressed him most uh, of anyone whom he had ever met in his life. So a very special person just in terms of natural gifts. She was born in the French-speaking part of Switzerland in a Swiss Reformed household. So, I mean, that would basically be Calvinist, would Mm -hmm. correspond more or less to certain strands of the Baptist church that are more Calvinist or confessional Calvinism, that sort of thing. That was the milieu in which she grew up. Uh, There were no Catholics. That somebody would become Catholic was completely unthinkable, especially because she was, let's say, from a kind of an illustrious family. As you know, Fawn, Fawn generally means when it occurs in a German family name, some kind of connection with nobility. And in fact, there there is a kind of patrician background to Adrienne. She was, again, uh, an extraordinary child, persecuted by her mother for reasons that are very difficult to understand. Although Adrienne was able to win over her mother later in life. And they were finally able to have a, a, a warm relationship. But the mother basically hated her uh, and made life extremely difficult for her. I mean, really made her suffer as a child. But she never became bitter. 
She had a loving relationship with her grandmother. Oh, she had a very loving relationship and with her father, uh, her grandmother. Yeah. See, this is the thing. I mean, we could speak for hours just about Adrienne's life. I mean, all mm-hmm. these details are occurring to me as I'm speaking. I hope I'm making some sense. Sure. She had a very close relationship with her grandmother. And it's very interesting. Uh, her grandmother was really a woman of God. I mean, a Protestant, but really had a profound sense of the presence of God. And Adrienne would, would say that she would love to go to her grandmother's house because you could just go there and just be. Whereas I think in at home, not because of the father, but because of the mother, there was a kind of constant sort of unreasonable demand that nobody could ever meet. So a constant sort of being on edge. But she was never bitter. I mean, she was always extraordinarily eager to help. Mm-hmm. I mean, she tells stories about that in, in, in some autobiographical fragments. From a very early age, also a very profound sense of the presence of God, a profound sense of prayer. And she even had, I mean, later in life, she would recognize these as visions. An encounter with St. Ignatius of Loyola when she was just a few years old, and then a, an actual vision of the, of the Mother of God when she was 15. I'm leaving out a lot, which would, all of which would be really worth talking about. But fairly early on, she knew she wanted to be a doctor. She was born in 1902, so this is, let's say, 1920, after the First World War, the early 1920s. Not a common sort of path for mm-hmm. a woman, especially a young woman in those days. And she had to overcome a lot of obstacles to achieve her goal she also had to work her way, at least at a certain point, through school. But in fact, she, she did manage, did actually extraordinarily well, and was, I think, the first woman to graduate from where she got her medical degree. And then, as I say, was married to a widowed professor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the children that, that she had actually came from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wasn't, unfortunately, she wasn't able to have children of her own. At first, she married him in a way because she knew that she had to help him, but then she really fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. There was a profound relationship between the two of them, so that when he did die in an untimely manner, she was really devastated. And, and again, this is the, the difficulty. So this is now in the, in the mid-30s. She did marry again another professor of history, in fact, her former husband's uh, successor in Basel. Throughout her entire life before her conversion, what you, what we see is a search for the Catholic Church, a desire to, at least from a certain point on, to become Catholic, but also a desire for what the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church alone gives us. And Whenever I think about Adrienne's conversion, I, I think about Cardinal Newman, mm. because despite all of the obvious differences between them, uh, they had one thing in common, which was this. They knew that with God, it's either all or nothing. And Cardinal Newman thought that you could have the all in the Anglican Church, and he was sincere in that belief, and he, he, explains his, he explains that in the Apologia Pro Vita Sua. He explains to those who cast doubt on his sincerity that, in fact, he was sincere. But at a certain point, he realized that he had been wrong, and that 
once you realize that with God it's either all or nothing, then the second realization is it's either the Catholic Church or you have to deny the first point. So it's either Catholicism or atheism. Not everybody realizes that, and not everybody who doesn't realize that is guilty. I don't mean to say that. I'm just I'm talking about what is. I'm mm -hmm. not talking about how people respond to what is. But Adrienne's response to what is was to say, I need to be in the church where there can be a complete obedience to and openness to God's entire will, to God's entire revelation. And in fact, that's, what Catholic, that's one thing Catholic means etymologically is entire or whole. Mm -hmm. Nothing's left out, nothing's suppressed. Nothing's compromised, nothing's watered down. Uh, and that's what she wanted. Certainly, grace was behind that desire, but I think also something in her own nature. She was, an, she was a great soul. She was a great human being, a great woman. And that greatness, I think, wouldn't allow her to accept second-best, second-rate solutions watered-down compromises. She was not a harsh person, having said that. She could be very demanding when she had to be. Mm -hmm. uh, she knew how to be demanding. Uh, her writings uh, can be very demanding. Uh, mm -hmm. That's one reason I think a lot of people shy away from her stuff is simply because you can't read very far without feeling like you've got to make some kind of decision. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, she was an absolutely normal person who could talk about fashion who knew how to run a household, who loved to laugh, who loved to eat ice cream, you know, uh, who had a great sense of humor. So a great person, a great soul, but not at all a kind of strange or harsh or one-sided person, but a really full human being. She must have been incredibly attractive in her personality in in a manner that would bring such ease to her patients. Yeah. She, people flocked to her, and they had no clue of the spiritual experiences right. that she was uh, undergoing. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I think at, a, at the height of her career, she would see 80 patients a day, which to me, I just, I just I don't understand mm -hmm. how that's possible. Exactly, people would flock to her, and a lot of people would come not just because they needed physical healing, but because they needed to, t to talk about things, and they could with her. And she would help them. Healing, in every sense, was a really important part of her, shall we say, approach to other people. And also, it's something that she wanted for the community that she founded, you know, that, that her, her people would be, would be healers in some way. Mm -hmm. I know that that word sounds a bit strange uh, in contemporary America, but uh, the, the meaning is not at all strange. She was a doctor. That's something that's really important to remember, is that for her, being a serious professional was extremely important. Uh, in other words, to say, oh yes, she was spiritual, she was even a mystic, doesn't at all mean that she was sort of floating around a couple of inches off the ground. I mean, she had her feet very solidly planted on the ground and really knew what was what about things. And her profession was very important to her, and the professional ethos was extremely important for her. So 
that woman was the one that Hans Urs von Balthasar would encounter on that terrace that That's evening. Correct. And from that point, how can I become a Catholic and right. help me to pray the Our Father would lead to an awakening, a receptivity to a movement of the Spirit that would change both their lives and would affect potentially the church universal at large. Yeah, I mean, that's a great summary of what happened afterwards, because in fact, she was received into the church on November 1st, so All Saints Day, uh, 1940. Under the instruction of Under the instruction of Balthazar, although he said all he had to do was mention something, and she got it right away. Mm -hmm. So the instruction probably went pretty quickly. And she was rebaptized conditionally, as was the practice back then uh, in the Catholic Church. Balthazar reports that from that moment on, really, there was a kind of literal cascade of all kinds of extraordinary graces, some of which are almost mind-boggling. For Adrienne uh, and for Balthazar, the center was never the extraordinary things that happened to her. That was all for training, as it were. That was all for warm-up for the real deal. You could say, couldn't you, in that spirit of First Corinthians of St. Paul, that the gifts were given, essentially, to communicate a greater message. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a fundamental principle for both Adrienne and Balthazar, that a charism is never just for the individual who receives it. A charism is always, of course, for the individual. Uh, you know, God loves each person, so clearly he, he also loves the person to whom he gives the charism. But the charism is also for the entire church and, and in fact, for the world. Because, it, again, if God really loves the individual, then, then he's going to give that individual also a share in his, God's own generosity. So it's never going to be just for the individual, but for the whole and for the good of the whole. That's a general principle. But in this specific case, the principle takes on an even more concrete sense or meaning uh, for two reasons. I mean, one is that all of these extraordinary charisms were to help Adrienne become, in a way, what she had always wanted to become, which is not somebody who does their own thing, does their own will, mm -hmm. uh, but somebody who really lives completely for God, and that means simultaneously completely in and for the communion of saints. But then there's also another aspect, which is that uh, at the core of her work is both the community that she founded and with Balthazar and a charism, if you will, of explaining revelation. So scriptural commentaries, but also uh, books about different aspects of Catholic doctrine, for example, a book on the mystery of death, or a wonderful, two wonderful books actually on, on Our Lady, a book on the sacrifice of the Mass, and so on, and so on, and so on. Many of these books are available through Ignatius Press, obviously. And none of those particular books were based in the presentation when they originally were published on those type of experiences that we may say that are mystical. They were put out 
as fruits of the Spirit on their own merits. And that's the true prudence and wisdom of von Balthasar. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, because a, a lesser man could have said, aha, I'm going to make a circus out of this. Mm-hmm. Well, Balthazar was not a lesser man. He was a great man. She was a great woman, and they were both extremely discreet about the phenomena. She was actually embarrassed by a lot of these things because she thought, who am I to receive these things? Mm-hmm. And in fact, the books, I mean, there are some books published after her death which do report on the phenomena because Balthazar wanted the church to know and to be able to judge. He submitted all of this to the judgment of the church, and he wanted the church Mm -hmm. to have a basis for making a judgment. But the books published during her lifetime, and that would represent the bulk of of her stuff that's, that's available, really does stand on its own. You don't have to know a thing about the phenomena uh, all you have to do is read the books, and here too, a rule which I think I mentioned last time, and the, the rule that the Lord states in the gospel uh, is relevant by your fruits, you will know them. Mm-hmm. That is to say, a person who reads her things in the right way and with the right disposition won't be disappointed, I would say. A passage from At First Glance at Adrienne von Speyer by Hans Urs von Balthasar. Balthasar reflects on Adrienne. The theory of mysticism which Adrienne formulated culminates in one statement. Mysticism is a particular mission, a particular service to the Church, which can only be properly carried out in a continual and complete movement away from oneself, in self-forgetfulness, she loved the word effacement, and virginal readiness for the word of God. Personal states as such are of no interest and ought not to be reflected upon. All psychologizing introspection becomes without fail a deviation from the main concern, God's word, and therefore a distortion of one's mission. This basic law is also, according to Adrienne, the principal guideline for spiritual directors. By this time, Adrienne had been interpreting books of Holy Scripture for about a decade. After the Johannine writings, some of Paul, the Catholic epistles, the Apocalypse, books or parts of books from the Old Testament, In later years, one could give her at random any text of scripture with the request that she interpret it immediately. She would close her eyes for a few seconds, and then in her quiet, objective tone of voice, she would begin to speak in sentences that were almost ready for publishing. She usually dictated in the afternoon after she had returned from her two o'clock office hours and had had a cup of tea. She seldom dictated for more than half an hour per day. During vacations, She would occasionally dictate for two or three hours, but this was rare. And as we will explore in future episodes, you know, the the basics of what those teachings contain. It may be said for some who have even been canonized saints now in the church that 
their writings. We read them and because we know, oh, they were mystics. And while they were shown this vision of Christ's life or something like that, and somehow that makes even those scenes, wow. They're still considered private revelation. They're not necessarily authoritative, deep penetrating works. And the reason I bring that up is because when you read von Speyer, the works are so penetrating and that lead us into a deeper contemplative meditative understanding that you don't need to have that criteria that this may or may not have been influenced by a private revelation. I don't want to say that the revel the phenomena and things aren't important. I mean, they do have a certain importance, but the importance isn't such that the work, for example, the scriptural commentaries or whatever stands stands or falls with those revelations. Because again, the point of the revelations was always training, was just to say, to always help her do something else or to help her understand something that she needed to understand for this, this, this other aspect of her written work. And the other aspect is precisely, I would say, theological. Now, that's a word that may scare some people, and I don't mean to, because when I say theological, I don't at all mean this is academic theology. She was not an academic theologian. What I mean to say, and, and her work can be used, for example, for prayer. You know Tremendously that. so. Tremendously so. Yeah, yeah you know that that's... just as well as I do. Mm-hmm. But her work can also be used to help understand and to help uh, not just specialists, but also ordinary people. Uh, to understand their faith, as you say, Chris, in a deeper way, to go deeper into. I may be stretching this, but for me, and this is my own personal statement about this incredible woman, she, for me, is a doctor of the pondering heart. It, it is, it, it's a glimpse of just a bit of what it must have been like for that the great mother of God, Mary Most Holy, who was able to contemplate and be so receptive and opening, we we see in von Speyer just an image and of what we too are called to begin the entry, and that's why her work is so important. No, I, uh, Chris, I I absolutely agree. You're absolutely right. A couple of things that occur to me. Uh, one is that pondering heart, as you call it is in fact the attitude of Our Lady. It's also the attitude of St. John, really. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody who's had a sense of that or taste of that special atmosphere of the fourth gospel knows knows what I mean. And it's also the really the attitude of the Church. I mean, uh, to be Catholic, remember, is to welcome, not just to sign on the dotted line, but really to welcome the entirety of God's revelation. And what does welcoming mean? Well, I mean, uh, anybody mm-hmm. who's uh, prepared a meal for a guest will have some inkling of what it means to welcome. There is work involved, but the entire, shall we say, purpose and atmosphere of the work is to receive and to listen. And I like your idea of the pondering heart because it brings both aspects into play. One, the idea of listening, of receiving of depth, but at the same time pondering, because there is an act of 
let's say, the intelligence God wants us to understand. Um, mm-hmm. That's why he spoke to us, because he wants us to understand him. So I think that's a really important thing. And then the other aspect that occurs to me is theology. Again, mm-hmm. a word that scares a lot of people or that sounds very highfalutin because people think of academic theology. But real theology is always, first and foremost, what you just said. That is to say, pondering in depth in the heart of Mary Immaculate, in the heart of the church. That's, that's really what theology is. Now, does everybody who does that become an academic theologian or a doctor of the church? Not necessarily. However, it's really interesting to think of somebody like Teresa of Avila or Hildegard von Bingen, brilliant women, but not academic theologians. Is anybody going to say that that's not theology? I hope they don't say that because, mm-hmm. uh, that's, because that's in fact what it is. It is theology. So I think it's important to see, I guess what I'm trying to get at with these remarks is that Adrienne isn't just about sort of spirituality. She's not just about academic theology. She's about the unity of spirituality and theology or the unity of what Balthazar, call, or what Balthazar called the unity of theology and holiness beautiful essay of his by that mm. name in the f- first volume of the Explorations in Theology. I think it was written in 1948. What he says there, he doesn't mention Adrienne uh, about the unity of theology mm-hmm. and holiness, about the profoundly ecclesial nature of theology and so forth. It's all, it's all about Adrienne. Mm. He's explaining to the church already what the, 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 the logic, if you will, of Adrienne's mission is. Mm. Well, we'll have to explore more of that when we, we gather again. Very good. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Adrian. You're welcome. You've been listening to A Handmaid of the Lord, The Life and Legacy of Adrienne von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker. To obtain the works of Adrienne von Speyer, go to ignatius.com the website for her publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find them at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for A Handmaid of the Lord, The Life and Legacy of Adrian von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker.